Hey friend, I know you wanna get to today's episode, but I got a question for you. Are you feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or burned out? Do you find it difficult to find the time and energy to care for yourself? If this is the case, you are not alone. Many of us put our own needs on the back burner, believing that self-care is an unnecessary luxury. But here's the truth. Self-care is a necessity, not a luxury. We feel more balanced, energized, and resilient when we prioritize our well-being. We're better prepared to face life's challenges and be our best selves when we are taking care of ourselves. This is where Reset comes into play. I built this program to walk you step-by-step through the process to help you transform your relationship with self-care. In this program, you're going to learn practical tools and strategies for developing habits that reflect your individual values, goals, and lifestyle. And you'll do it all in a supportive group setting where you'll meet like-minded people and learn from each other's experiences. Over the course of eight weeks, you'll identify your unique self-care needs and priorities, overcome the barriers that have prevented you from taking care of yourself in the past, create a personalized self-care plan that fits your busy schedule, practice self-compassion and mindfulness to manage stress and build resilience, cultivate a growth mindset and learn from setbacks, and much more. I know this sounds like something you need. And if you are honest with yourself, you know you need to be in the room on April 22nd at 1 p.m. where we begin this program. And we will break down all the things that have prevented you from taking care of yourself the way that you need to. We're going to release limiting beliefs. And you are going to give yourself the permission that you have been waiting for from others to take care of yourself today and not tomorrow. So I want to see you there with me on April 22nd as we break down the mindset and reset all of your self-care goals so that you can live a more intentional life and show up in this world as your best self each and every day. Go to shyathousand.com to sign up for this program now. All right, go back to the episode. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the WellFit Lab podcast. I'm your host, Shia Thousand, and I am in the lab today with Devin Dirksen. Devin is a former biologist turned holistic nutritionist and certified health coach. She is also the host of the Weight Neutral Nutrition podcast, where she teaches a blend of intuitive eating principles, healthy habit change, and science-backed nutrition education meant to empower clients with knowledge. Nutrition can be so confusing because of all the noise and conflicting information online, and she aims to clear that up by helping people find what works for them and not for their bestie or their nosy aunt. Welcome Devin to the show, guys. She focuses on helping people heal their relationship with food and their bodies, eating guilt-free and quitting the diet cycle for good. I'm really excited to have Devin in the lab. As you all know, this month we're talking about body matters and actually it's the theme for this season. And so what better way to dig into it than through what we eat. So grab a pen and paper and a cup of tea and join us in the lab. See you in there. Thank you first for being here and thank you for your willingness to share and be a part of the WellFit Lab and just come in the lab and give us some insights into your world. So thank you so much, Devin, for being here today. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And I love the term lab because I actually like, uh, I was a biologist before I was a nutritionist. So I'm very familiar with the lab. Um, I was like, I worked in the lab for the federal government of Canada for a while. So, and now I do nutrition. So it's, it's cool to be back in the lab, so to speak. (laughs) Awesome. I love that. And it goes down in the lab. There are a lot of things you can do in a lab, but as it relates to nutrition, I love that we're having this conversation because as we both know, a lot of our food is derived from some sort of lab. I feel like we don't get as much whole food as we should. And I think that this is a great conversation to have in the lab. So what type of nutrition um, and mindset coaching are you working through with your clients and how did you get there? Like, let's walk through your journey. Yeah, totally. So I mainly help people who have disordered eating patterns to find food freedom and to ditch the guilt around food. And it very much stems from a personal place. I was definitely in the depths of disordered eating throughout high school and I would say the beginning of university. And for me, it was a pretty like slow transition out of that, but I slowly have come to heal my relationship with my food and my body. And it's been really just like freeing to not have to fixate on food all of the time. Um, I am a holistic nutritionist, so I um, draw from a lot of different things in my practice, mainly like I'm also, I was a scientist first, so I definitely focus on teaching people the science of nutrition so that they can understand like how different foods affect them and their bodies, and then they can make empowered choices about how to eat for themselves, but also in a way that isn't like steeped in diet culture and guilt and uh, things like that. So that's kind of like me in a nutshell. I can talk about parts of my journey if you'd like or uh, my experiences with disordered eating myself, but uh, that's why I do what I do today. I appreciate that because I think having empowered um, decision-making is really good. And I thank you so much much for touching on and being willing to um, open up about disordered eating because I think nutrition um, sometimes it gets glossed over as a form of self-care and being nutrition being a nutritionist but also coming from a background with an eating disorder or disordered eating I think it's really something to say to the testament of your level of passion and commitment to the work that you do But for those who may not really struggle with it and for those who may struggle with it, can you walk us through your journey and just have us um, get an idea of how you got from that point to where you are today? Yeah, totally. I can definitely talk about that. So I always think back to one moment in particular, which I think is like kind of the the shifting point for me. I think I was 18 when this happened, but I was getting dressed after an acupuncture appointment and like looking in the mirror and I was like, oh, wow, my clothes are like hanging off of my body. Like I look like someone who has an eating disorder. And in my mind at the time, it was like a good thing. It was like, oh, I've, yes, I've done it. I'm so skinny. Like, and then right after I had those thoughts, it was also just like a realization of I shouldn't think that way. Like that doesn't seem like a healthy mindset to have. And so that for me was kind of this, like the initial point where I really like 
where it really sticks out in my mind as like, okay, I need to change something. And from there, I kind of like, I went through a lot of different phases, I think, with trying to like get out of the dieting mentality and um, really like healing my relationship with food. I tried a lot of things that I now realize maybe didn't work. You know, I tried like, oh, I'm just going to eat healthy. I'm just going to like you know, only eat vegetables and try not to eat too many carbs. And, um, you know, I'm going to do cheat meals and, and all of these things. But really when it came down to it, it was like a, a whole like holistic healing journey that had to happen. And it took years. And I think because I went on that journey alone, like it took a really long time. And because food is so tied up in a lot of the things that we do, right? For me, and I can see this very clearly now looking back, but I really used like dieting and controlling my food and eating less as a coping mechanism to cope with the things that I felt like were out of control in my life. And so now I think like that comes into play a lot when I talk with my clients is like, how are you using food as a coping mechanism? What are you trying to cope with? And how are like, what other strategies could you use to try to cope with those situations? And sometimes that looks like maybe referring my clients to a therapist or somebody who's more qualified but you know I do think that deep down like that control around food is a big thing for a lot of people and you don't realize it until it becomes um a moment like I like I experienced right it was like okay um you know, if, if this goes any further, I will have a full-blown eating disorder or, um, you know, if, if I don't fix this now, I'm going to be in a really unhealthy spot. So, um, yeah, that's just like kind of <laughs> many years of my life and condensed into a few minutes, but hopefully that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And I appreciate you, um, just sharing that with us because I think that for especially women, I think that at some point in time in our lives we've looked at our bodies very negatively and thought well if I just do this thing and then that thing can we go to extremes with it and I think you grow into a place of finding happy mediums in your life and especially as young people if you grow up in environments where you don't have a lot of control you begin to seek control in unhealthy areas which can look like trying to control food or trying to control people um, outside of your home. So I appreciate the fact that you touched on that and being able to open that up to your clients as well and saying, well, maybe I'm not the person to help you, but let me refer you to a therapist or referring them to get therapy to work through those issues. Because I think sometimes when it comes to coaches, people think that they can go to coaches and not go to therapists. And it's like, no, 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 no. We have different names. They are different words and have different meanings for a reason. Because we can complement each other, but we do not replace the other. And I think that that's really important. And I just want to just stress that because in everything that Devin just shared, especially when it comes to eating disorders, you can go to speak with someone who is a nutritionist or a coach or a fitness coach or a herbalist or a holistic healer or a holistic coach. Yet and still, that will not negate the fact that if you are struggling and it's deeper then you need to get to the root cause of it. And therapy is probably gonna be the angle to go because no matter what they tell you, if you don't deal with the mindset and the um, struggles and traumas and coping mechanisms that you're using, 
to deal with your food issues now, it's going to show up in your life in another way. And so going to therapy can be extremely helpful to complement what you're learning about food and then getting to the root of where this um, idea has come from in your mind. Would you agree, Devin? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's interesting because as you say that, I what, what's coming to my mind is that if you don't do the inner work, as you say, to do that, you're just going to like translate those coping mechanisms onto like a different methodology. So for example, like I think a lot of people in the food space, for example, may try to heal their relationship with food. They'll give up on the dieting aspect and then they'll just turn it around and say, okay, well, I'm just going to be really crazy about exercise or, you know, things like that. So I, I definitely think that that, that inner healing has to come as a piece of, of any journey. Right. I mean, you talk about stress, like I'm sure that that is a huge piece of it as well in the stress and, and burnout realm. Absolutely. Um, one of my craziest points in when I was experiencing a form of burnout, um, burnout, because I experienced burnout three times over the course of 10 years. And at one point, I could not eat um, when I was super stressed, period, because my stomach would just go through the roof, like it would just be so crazy. So I wasn't eating, I was barely eating probably a meal a day for an entire year. And that was just a season of my life. And then at another time when I was experiencing burnout, I was barely eating. I think I did eat a meal a day. I might've ate a meal and a half a day, but I was eating at like the most insane hours of the day. And I was so stressed at work and I was doing so much walking because my job was in a very large building that within a couple of months, I had lost 15 pounds and my clothes looked like, huh? Like to your point, you look in the mirror and they were like hanging on you and they weren't quite hanging on me. But I remember I I had just got new clothes when I got the job. And at this point, in a matter of like three months, I had the same outfit on. I had probably like my first week of work. And I remember looking at my pants and being like, these are really big. Like, what is going on? And these actually fit me three months ago. And I got on the scale and I was like, oh my gosh, you just lost 15 pounds. And three months is not um, like, I didn't do it in like three weeks. But for someone who was not even trying to lose weight, and then at that point recognizing, wow, you haven't, you don't really keep the best eating habits. And I have one friend and she's always telling me, you eat terrible. Because when I did eat, I would eat everything. It would be completely horrible. But it was almost like I'm trying to make up for all the days I didn't eat anything. And so I was binging on food on those days and they were terrible uh, menu items, of course. And then I think back as you're speaking, I thought about a time in high school where I was super ripped. I was like super, super ripped in high school. And I remember at that time I was dealing with like every time I ate, I felt like I had to work out. And it's like, well, I see like I need to be fit. I just, just, just I just have to be in shape. And so that's what I went after. So I can pinpoint as you were talking different points in my life where I've recognized that even within myself. And it's really really um, about getting to a point where you can have a healthy relationship with food and heal from the traumas or the poor coping mechanism. Sometimes it may not even be a trauma. It may just be just due to circumstances. Like with me and work, I didn't even realize I wasn't eating. I was stressed at work and I don't normally eat when I'm stressed, but I didn't even make the connection until almost like a year later. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that just like that story of your burnout, like it really just demonstrates how intersectional food can be. It can impact so many different like places in your life. And you can really end up in a place where maybe you're not mentally anguishing over like, oh my God, I didn't eat this or I should have had that or, you know, that kind of thing. But your your body, right, was was suffering from, from the effects probably of burnout and stress, but then it like manifested in not being able able to eat properly. So yeah, like I think it can just, it can look so many different ways based on your circumstances, but I, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's a tough thing. And I think it's really hard to navigate this stuff alone. So that's hopefully where I come in for my clients. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's really hard to navigate alone, especially because you, um, we just talked about this on another show. You just don't know what you don't know. So it's not until you're experiencing these things and you share with someone else what you're experiencing. And you're like, oh, check this out, do this thing. And asking for help is not a sign of weakness. I just want to like stress this because when we are struggling and we are incapable of being our best and supporting ourselves, it is literally a sign of strength to go and ask somebody, hey, I need help right now. Because you are saying like, I recognize something's off. I may not understand exactly what's off, but having the ability to ask for help is such a strength. And sometimes um, in in different communities, uh, we see it as a sign of weakness, but it might be the strongest thing you ever do. And it might be the thing that actually saves your life. So for those who are struggling with eating disorders, I highly recommend reaching out for support and assistance because you may not realize it right now, but that one time you reach out could be the thing that actually changes your life. Would you say that that was something that helped you? You actually sought help in these times? I didn't like seek professional help. I mean, I actually, I had a very negative experience with a therapist in, around this time, which was unfortunate, but it really like drove me to be like, okay, I need to take charge of my own healing journey. Um, looking back, I definitely feel like I should have done those things. But I think that the world nowadays is a lot more um, aware of the uh, difficulties around dieting and and like no recognizing like the dangers of becoming too obsessed with food, I guess, is the thing. And I think too, like something that definitely came up for me and I think is a very prevalent mindset still is the idea that people who, you know, aren't like in a full-blown eating disorder, I would say, like people who aren't uh, bulimics, people who aren't like super, super underweight. Um, there's this mentality that like, oh, I'm not sick enough, like to ask for help. And I think that that that's probably a prevalent mindset in a lot of disciplines, but it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's easier to get help and to like benefit from help if you're not super, super sick. Right. And so I think that that is definitely a, a mentality that I help people like in overcome in my podcast. Like I've had multiple guests on my podcast who've shared things around that with me as well of like, you know, I wish that people who were in like, we call like disordered eating. So not like a full-blown eating disorder, but like, you know, the habits are there. Like it could get worse if, if something doesn't change, like people in that realm, like 
really should seek some type of support, whether it's like, it doesn't have to be paid support. It could just be like talking openly with a friend, like getting some like free journal prompts on the internet. Like, I don't know what it could be, but like taking charge of that healing journey before it gets to like a rock bottom place, if that makes sense. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's really good that you bring up because when I'm speaking about that health as well, that doesn't necessarily have to be professional because everyone's not comfortable getting professional or they can't afford it or they don't know how to access it. So help could be literally speaking to a best friend or a really good friend and just saying, hey, um, I need help right now. I'm dealing with some things. So as you said, it's it's easier to get more help when you're um, at the earlier stages. Can you give us some signs of what disordered eating looks like and some things that people should be aware of? Because Someone right now may be listening and may be dealing with this and not even realize it's something that they're dealing with. Yeah, totally. I think that most people, honestly, who are dealing with this are not super aware of it. And I th- I want to just acknowledge that the reason that most people don't acknowledge that it's a problem is because a lot of the times we get praised for it in our culture, right? If you, for example, were going to tell someone like, oh, I was just at the gym for like four hours, you know, to me as like a nutritionist who helps people with that, I'm just like, oh, that's too much. Like you're over-exercising. But a lot of other people might say something like, oh, wow, like you're so fit. And you know, we could have a whole conversation about how thinness is praised and all of that kind of thing. But so I just want to acknowledge that that a lot of people get praised for these things. And so it kind of like, Very true. yeah, it, it like leads to this like, oh, wow, I'm getting attention. I'm getting praised. I'm getting what I want from the behaviors. But Some of the signs I think that this is becoming like an overwhelming burdenous problem for people is um, the number one thing that I see is like obsession around food. Like, you you know, I would say if more than like 50% of your thoughts a day are consumed with like, what am I going to eat? What did I just eat? Um, Feelings around what you've eaten or what you're going to eat. Um, Worrying like about certain things, worrying about like calories, macros, worrying that you're not getting enough vitamins. Like if if that is like an all-consuming thing for you, that would be like the number one thing. Um, excessive macro or calorie counting, it can also be super problematic, I think, especially if you're somebody who like just has to like know what what's in things and has to like really keep on your calorie targets. And like if you go over, it's like a panic and a guilt trip and, and all these things. Um, again, like lots of feelings of guilt and shame around food, binge eating, it can be super problematic, whether you mean to or not, like you said, in your situation, like, it wasn't that you were like setting out to have a binge, but you had been like, not eating for so long. And it just like, that's what your body wants is to get to be hungry or like to, to be fed. Right. And so, um, I think those are some of the main symptoms per se that people might be on the lookout for. Um, and then it it also just ties back into like how you feel about your body, right? If you feel like, um, like bad about your body, poor body image, and you're using food to try to like do something about it, whether it's, uh, you know, super restrictive diets, 
um, anything like that, really. I think that that for me, the, the main symptom is generally like the obsession around food. And I know because I was there, like I literally thought about food all of the time. And so I think that it's a really hard place to be in. And I think a lot of people are in that that place or, or it's at least at a place where they're thinking about food a lot. And once you've healed, you don't really think about it too much, but when you're in it, it's like, it's an all consuming. It's almost like an addiction of the brain to be like, I need to think about like my calories and my diet and I need to stay on track and I need to stay perfect. And yeah, I I think that that's the main thing. I would definitely agree. And um, some of the research that I found, everything you just named falls under um, what it would look like for someone with disordered eating, as it's not a full-blown eating disorder, to your point. And I really think that sometimes it's, I'm loving that we're having this conversation because I think the obsessive piece of it, sometimes people will dismiss that as like, oh, I care about my body. So that's why I'm being this way. Or um, no, I just like working out. And sometimes being very rigid with it, sometimes being so obsessive with it can be a very clear indicator that something is wrong and that you may need help. And it's so interesting because I think like to your point, we are being praised for things that may actually be hardships and struggles. So if someone is having an eating, um, is dealing with a disordered eating or a full-blown eating disorder, but you see them and they lost weight, you may say, oh my gosh, you look so great not knowing that this is the reason why behind it. And for some reason, whenever we see people lose weight, we're definitely jumping up and down for them. When people are gaining weight, we're not necessarily jumping up and down with, for them. But yet that should also be celebrated, especially if not to the same degree in regards to like, as if something is you're ill or something like that, or if medicine is doing it, but just being mindful that this person may be working their way back from a full-blown ED. So their weight gain is not something to be looked at as negative. Like it should be something that's commended and it should be, we should be really mindful of just how we speak to people. Our language is so interesting. Like it's to the point where it's some people say to me sometimes, you look so tired. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want to hear. Like we don't realize we say these things so flippantly to people, but they have real implications. So I would just encourage and caution everyone when we're speaking to people, let's ask questions like, how are you feeling? Um, have you, are, are you all right today? Let's ask those type of questions instead of just celebrating when people gain weight, lose weight, or they look tired, they look well. Like you don't know what someone's dealing with. You don't know what they're hiding behind their eyes or even hiding under their makeup. You have no idea. So let's start asking better questions around these things so that we are not only dealing with the physical aspect of it. You look good because you lost weight. You look good because of this. Like, let's dig a little bit deeper. I just would encourage and caution that let's be mindful of what we're celebrating because for what Devin shared is really, it's so true. People in the gym for four hours, to me, I would say, hmm, that's a little odd. But then other people are like, wow, you're really committed. Way to go. And that may not necessarily signify commitment. That could more so be signifying obsession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. totally. I like that you uh, said that as well. Like we need to be mindful of the ways that we talk to each other. And because you don't know, like maybe you're like you said in, in your situation and I don't know what was exactly going on, but you know, you lost 15 pounds in 
a certain amount of time. And like for you, it was because you were like not eating enough food, right? And so that's probably not a good thing. You were probably experiencing like fatigue and <laughs> not feeling your best. But people may see that and think like, wow, you're really out there killing it. And you're like, um, I'm actually exhausted and my stomach is upset, <laughs> right? Literally. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what was happening. And it's interesting because I don't even know if people around me realized how much weight I had lost so quickly. I literally remember standing on the floor of my job and just looking at my pants like, what the heck? These pants actually fit like a few months ago. And I remember my belt was really tight. Like it was the tightest it could probably be. And I just was like, okay, this isn't good. And I really was like, I, something's got to change. But it was literally the stress of the job. I didn't even realize it was happening until the three months of losing the weight. And then a year later, like looking back, like, oh my gosh, I was so stressed during that job working there. And, and I, I feel like that's just how it is for a lot of people, unless you're suffering with something that you can maybe necessarily pinpoint. But I feel like sometimes it's some it's so hard to pinpoint in hindsight is 2020, where you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what I was dealing with. And that's why we have to just ask just deeper, better questions of those we care about and love. When we see something, say something. It's not enough to just go, oh, well, I'll wait till they bring it up to me. No, say something. Sometimes some people are actually crying out for help. And when no one's asking them, they don't even have the capacity or the courage to speak up for themselves. So asking those questions really opens the door for the floodgates to open for conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So I hope that people, if they're listening and they are struggling, can maybe start to maybe bring it up to somebody in their life, their best friend or a partner or a parent, somebody, right? It's, it's good to just start to acknowledge what's going on. It doesn't mean that you have to be like, I'm going to you know, stop calorie counting tomorrow because of this podcast. Like it doesn't have to be like that, but just like recognizing that maybe these behaviors or these feelings are problematic. And I just want to say too, like I, I kind of mentioned some of like the external symptoms of, of what it could look like with disordered eating, but I think it's important to mention that the feelings are really what matter. Like you could be eating, you know, um, grilled chicken and salad every single day for every meal and if you if your mindset isn't like obsessive and fixated and and negative towards that it's not really like the end of the world but if you are like do only doing that so that you can you know control your weight or or feel in control of food then it's like it becomes a problem so it's like how you feel about the behaviors that matter more than the actual actions themselves maybe there is a reason for someone to be in the gym for 4 hours but you know if you're just doing it so that you can try to lose weight or or because you can't cope with other things in your life then it becomes like a problem that you need to address i think that's my opinion on that anyway I think that's a really good point because um, depending on what you're dealing with, that might be the season of your life too. So I think that how you feel is really important. And honestly, I just want to stress again, Devin said this earlier, but therapy, like I highly recommend people invest in therapy because I think therapy gives us the language to um, communicate our feelings. And sometimes you don't even know how you feel about a situation until you actually talk about it. And you're like, wow, I did feel this way about that. So I just can't stress enough. And I think when it comes to um, nutrition, 
as it relates to um, disordered eating, it's a really good place that um, just find yourself at some point in time. Everyone does not have the best experiences always. However, I think that sometimes you got to interview the therapist just like you're interviewing for jobs. So just take a moment and um, just think about that. I think it's a really good piece of it to add to it because that feelings piece is really big. And sometimes if you don't have the language to even communicate what you're feeling, it's that much harder to get the help that you need because you can't communicate it. So Devin, walk me through um, like a day in life as a client with you. And um, normally at what point do your clients come to you? Um, are they earlier? Are they sometimes later in process? And how do you get them to shift their mindsets around um, the nutritional piece? Yeah. So every client is different. Um, some clients come to me, like I'll, I'll give one example. Um, one of my clients came to me chiefly because she had just been diagnosed with celiac disease, which means she can't eat gluten anymore. And she was like, help me. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, so it can look like that. It, it did turn out that she had um, as well, like a history of dieting and um, disordered eating as well. However, like that was the main, I guess, complaint that she came to me for. And I think that that it's true, right? A lot of people aren't like, well, I want to find food freedom, but it's like a more pressing issue for a lot of people that makes them come to a nutritionist. Um, generally speaking, like I said, that that person had an allergy they were dealing with. Um, oftentimes it's a low energy thing. Lots of people think like, oh, I'm so tired all the time. Like I need to get in control of my nutrition. And then we can deal with other things that are associated with, with those thoughts and with the nutrition because- Oftentimes, low energy in in most of the clients that I've worked with, they're just not eating enough. And it 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 comes from a place of either wanting to be thin or just not knowing which foods are going to nourish their bodies. Um, generally, it's it's from a place of like wanting to diet and wanting to be thin. But, yeah, like, and then we would just work through those feelings and it it kind of just depends, right? Like my, my practice is very client-led. I don't have a curriculum that I take people through because I think it's, it's so different for everybody. And, and some people just need someone to like hold their hand while they structure out their meals, while they like get used to eating regularly again. Um, some people, like I said, have intolerances or allergies they're trying to navigate. They don't know what to do. They don't know you know, which foods are good and which foods like are gonna, you know, be a good replacement for the things they used to like. Um, it can, it can be anything like that. Um, my clients generally get a lot of support from me. So I'm super excited to offer that to them. We do zoom stuff, but we also do like, I have lots of Voxer, which is a messaging app that people can just like message me anytime. So if they have a question or, you know, they need support one time, that's a lot of it. And I also like for my VIP clients, I offer something really cool, which is called a habit change masterclass, because for a lot of people who are struggling with nutrition and eating and, and wanting to feel the way that they want to feel, 
habits really come into play. So that's another huge piece of the puzzle that I we didn't even talk about on this podcast, but um, creating and sticking to habits that you want to have and that are going to make you feel the way you want to feel is also really important for a lot of my clients, especially for really ambitious women. I think that a lot of really ambitious women are very busy. They are very prone to stress and maybe even burnout. And so it's it's important for them to form habits that make sense and also aren't going to like take up a ton of their time and aren't just going to be another like, oh, I should do this thing, <laughs> right? Because I think like when we try to make new habits, a lot of times that's where it ends up. So um, that's pretty much like my client experience in a nutshell. I hope I didn't too much. <laughs> no, that's good. And I'm happy you touched on habits. What um, what I really think is good, and if you could just um, share a little bit more in regards to how our habits look around our eating. So um, meal prepping, um, eating, um, not focusing on and being obsessive about the macros and micros, but Really, how do you create healthy habits around your food? If you could say there were three ways to create healthy habits around food and your nutrition, what would those three ways be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, definitely, like I, I strongly recommend meal prep for people, especially if you are someone who forgets to eat. Um, a lot of my clients fall under that umbrella of people who are just either super busy, super stressed, or perhaps out of touch with their hunger cues in general. So I think meal prep can be a huge help for people like that. Um, I'm actually not a big meal prepper myself. I will do it on occasion, but I work from home most of the time. So I don't mind cooking. Um, <laughs> I would say um, probably another one is sleep. Honestly, like that comes up a lot for people. And I think like just having good sleep hygiene, I know that's not necessarily like strictly related to nutrition, but a lot of people are low energy because of the sleep thing. And, and if you're not sleeping enough, it's hard to have good nutrition. And it's just like, it comes up for every single client. I swear to God, they love to talk about sleep and it's often because of different things in their lives and the way that you eat can affect your sleep as well. So creating good evening routines is often a big theme. Um, creating good sleep hygiene, creating good meal timing around sleep and things like that is really good. And I also just think like, Number three would be like people don't eat regular meals. <laughs> I think that sounds like really just simple, but you know, if you're skipping breakfast, that's going to like impact your metabolism. You're going to be super hungry later on in the day. Um, if you're not eating a good lunch, if you're not eating a good dinner, like it's just, I don't know. I think as we grow, like when we're kids, our parents force these meals on us, right? Your your mom makes your breakfast, hopefully, like when you're a little kid, right? Um, somebody makes breakfast for you, somebody packs your lunch for you, and somebody serves you dinner, presumably, hopefully. And once we're adults, we're in charge now, and we don't always get taught the best meal habits, I suppose, from our parents. I think a lot of people move out on their own. They have very inconsistent schedules, maybe busy schedules, and the meals kind of just fall off. And it's like, well, I'll just eat when I can. And 
I think that like, I'm always shocked to hear this from people that I know, but they're just like, oh yeah, like I might have toast for breakfast and then I don't really eat for most of the day. And then maybe I'll have like some ramen noodles for supper. And it's like, well, of course you don't feel your best if that's how you're eating. And that's how a lot of my clients are eating before they come to me. And it just like breaks my heart because if you just like take some time to intentionally plan out meals that are well-balanced, that have carbs, protein, and fat in them, you're going to feel instantly so much better. Absolutely. Thank you so much for breaking that down because I think that's really important. I think sleep is definitely directly related. And to your point, I don't think we eat enough. I think we think we eat enough, but we Mm -hmm. definitely do not eat enough. And even if we know someone in our life who does this work, as you said, your friends, you're shocked that they're telling you what they eat. And sometimes I think, again, what we read is always so interesting because the magazines will make us think we all need to just eat avocado toast for breakfast with a very small lunch and then a even lighter dinner with a salad. And that may not be giving us all the nutritional bases that we need covered to get covered throughout that day, especially depending on the amount of energy you're exerting throughout the day. So I think it's really important that those three areas be um, areas of interest for those who are listening. If you don't know where to start, I think that those are three areas that would definitely give you a jump on it. So Devin, thank you so much for coming in today and talking with us in the lab. Where can people connect with you and find you at? Yeah, for sure. Um, My main platforms are Instagram and TikTok. I'm at Devin.Dirksen on both of them. I'll spell my name because it's confusing. Um, D-E-V-Y-N dot d-e-r-k-s-e-n um yeah instagram is probably my main hub although i have been on tiktok more recently because i just love like making little videos and i feel like i can be a little bit sassier on tiktok it's a little bit less of a professional platform um but i'm in i'm pretty much on all the platforms linkedin facebook youtube you can find my podcast on youtube or find uh the weight neutral nutrition podcast in your favorite podcast app as well Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening um, to another episode of the Wealthy Lab podcast. Until next time, enjoy your week and be blessed. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank-